Well, good morning, Thrive Church. Man, what a great day to be at Thrive, right? This is awesome. And if you've just joined us today, whether you're online with us or in person, uh, we're in a series called Back to Your Future. Uh, now, we can't, unfortunately, give you a DeLorean. We can't go 88 miles per hour. And unfortunately, we don't have Dr. Emmett Brown, and we can't change our past, can we? But what we can do from this day forward is be able to ask certain questions in our life to help us make God-honoring, Christ-honoring decisions. That's what we've been looking at this whole series is asking key questions. You have your copy of God's Word. Turn to John chapter 13, uh, verse 34 this morning. John 13, 34. Well, uh, during the pandemic, one of the things I stumbled into, when you cross 40, it's called Halftime. And there's actually a book called Halftime by Bob Goff. And you start thinking about the second half of your life and things like that. And one of the things that I got into during this pandemic stuff is strength training. I've never done it my whole life, and I got into it. And I really just, I love it. Like, it's a hobby. Some of you guys are like, you're crazy. Why would you love to, like, make yourself sore? Like, what's fun about that, right? Uh, but one of the things I realized that I loved about it was you can get inputs that have correlating outputs, so, like, you know, you do something, and then you get immediate results, and you can see it. That's why men love mowing the grass. Amen, men? Like, you know if you did good or not. Like, there's no questions. If it, It's like, hey, you know what? It's done. It's acute. I got it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. And the reason that it appealed to me so much was that in the ministry world, sometimes you can do all the right inputs. You can invest in someone's life and do all the right things. But it doesn't mean that everything's going to always turn out right. Like, there are times that I've covered people and helped them, and they go and lie about me or, or say things that aren't true or, or stretch the truth and things of that nature. And it, it hurts you because you're like, I did the right thing. Why am I not seeing the correlating outputs? Well, when it comes to the weight and strength training, if you just do the right numbers, you're going to get the right, right output. And in life, I think there's something about it that we, we love that. We love knowing that if we put this in, we're going to get this out. Right? If, if I do this, I'm going to see this result. And can I tell you that our first three questions, that's what, what, what it's all about. It appealed to you. Because each question we asked each week appealed to that mindset that I'm going to get a return on my investment. Think about the first question. Am I being honest with myself? Really? That's the integrity question, right? The second question we asked dealt with your legacy. What story do I want to tell when there's nothing left but a story to tell? And that's return on investment. You get to leave a great legacy by thinking about the story of your life and what people are going to say about you. Last week, I talked to you about this. Is there a tension, something within me, a tension that deserves my attention? Is there a red flag that I'm just blowing past, not paying attention to, and will that hurt me? And all of those questions go back to, if you ask those questions, you will see a return on investment in your life. You're going to see better decisions. You're going to see fewer regrets. You're going to honor God in what you do. And, and that is the beauty of it. But today, what we're going to talk about today is this. You're not going to get to see any return on investment, or there's not a promise for that at least, when you ask the question we're going to look at today. And what we're looking at today is based out of John 13, where Jesus brings his disciples to the upper room. He's talking to them about like the final things and what's going to happen. He had just washed their feet. And for the next several chapters, John is, is, is remembering and recollecting these, these memories with Jesus. Remember, he was the last living apostle, and so he wrote his gospel last. 
And I'm sure that, you know, as Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel circulated and it got around to him, he's like, oh, no, 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 but they forgot this part or they forgot that part. And as John, as most believe, is dictating this to a scribe in the first century and the scribe is writing down what John's telling them, he brings them to one of the most, uh, I guess, weird turning points in the ministry at this point. See, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. He was completely Jewish. They went to Passover. They did, you know, tabernacles. They did all the, the, the feasts that the Jews did. But now when they're in the upper room, Jesus does a few things that are absolutely strange to them as Jews. Number one, they're taking the Passover meal because it's Passover. And, and he says to them, now you're going to do this in remembrance of me. They're like, time out. We always did this because of Moses, right? Like, like we celebrated Moses leading them out of, the, uh, out of Egypt. We celebrated, you know, the, the death angel passing over us because the blood on the doorpost. And now it's about you. He says, now you're going to do this in remembrance of me. All that is about me. And then he says something that's not only strange to them, but it then separates what will be Christianity from every other religion in the world. And in John 13, 34, as he's sitting with his disciples, he's just washed their feet, and he says this to them. He says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. If you don't believe that Jesus didn't believe that he was the Son of God, this is where you miss it. Because in the Torah, the Old Testament, it says if you add to the Scriptures, may death be upon you, like may a curse be upon you. Why is Jesus doing that? Because he's God in the flesh. He can do it. So he says, a new commandment that I'm giving you, he says, love each other. Now, that's pretty easy right there. And before, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Old Testament, the Shema, the key of, of, of the Jewish religion, it was love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And anybody and everybody, Jew or not, could do that. But look what Jesus says here. He says, love each other just as I hath loved you. He changes everything with that. You should love each other, for your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Before, it was like, hey, just love your neighbors yourself. But then he says, just as I have loved you. And they wouldn't realize the ramifications of this until a few days later after he's, you know, he's, he's crucified and he's buried and he rises again. They will not see that love yet. They're probably thinking, yeah, he's a great rabbi. We know he, he loves us, but I wonder what he means by that. And John, as this old man, is remembering how powerful that was because at that point he changed everything. Because it's not just love God and love people and all religions can do it. He says, no, no, no. He says, unless you have experienced my love, Unless you have received my love as the Savior, then you don't know how to love people. He said, you've got to love others just as I have loved you. And John remembers, I remember how he loved us. It was because he put himself on a cross, an innocent, perfect person on a cross to be brutally beaten, to be crucified. And then he would rise again from the dead. I, I, he says, I remember that. And today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this should be very intriguing because if you don't know the love of Christ, then you're missing out on not only something that fills your heart, but also how to truly love other people. You can't, just as I have loved you, is the greatest love ever. 
And friends, when it comes to love, you don't really know the depth of how you love people until you enter into conflict, disagreement, betrayal, hurt. You, you don't understand how to love others. And what I want to do today is based off John 13, 34, I want us to ask a question that should be terrifying to us because it's going to help us navigate the complexities of relationships. And you, this question, if you will apply these questions to your life, when you get down in the ditches of a relationship, in the valley of any relationship, this will help you navigate it. And here's the question we're going to ask today. What does love require of me? What does love require? require of me. When you hit an impasse in your marriage and you're upset and resentful, what does love require of me in this situation? When you have a conflict with a friend and you're butting heads over something, probably politics since we live in America, right? What does love require of me in this situation? This question will call you to maturity, but this question will also call you to have to live out the type of love that Jesus laid out in John 13, 34, just as I have loved you. Now, here's the problem with this here. I want you to write this down because here's where it lies. Love requires us doing what is right when there's no promise of return on investment. That's the hard part. Because I, I want to tell you that if you always do good things, good things happen to you. But that is not where the gospel lies. Matter of fact, Jesus, as I just said, was perfect and sinless. Even those who don't follow Christianity would say, yeah, but he was a good man. Those who don't even like Christianity would at least say, yeah, he at least existed and he was a rabbi. They could say something about him. And him being the sinless, perfect, spotless Lamb of God, the Son of God sent to earth. He did everything correctly. He did everything right. And what happened to him? It says he came to his own and his own received him not. They betrayed him and crucified him, beat him beyond recognition, and he did nothing wrong. And then he went to the cross. He overcame death, hell, and the grave. He rose again on the third day with still no promise of return on investment. Think about it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's awesome. But there's a problem, guys. Not everybody comes to Christ or not everybody comes to believe in Christ. And so even Jesus knew that this type of love that the disciples would see in just a few days would have no promise of return on investment. See, I don't know about you, but I like return on investments. Like, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm very selfish in this way. Maybe you're more holy than I am. But, like, if I open the door for someone, I kind of expect them to say, thank you. And if they don't, I actually get an attitude. Does anyone else like that? I'll open the door for you. Or if you let somebody over, like, you know, you're driving, you know, and you're, like, you know, you're slowing them over, you're like, yeah, and, and then they don't, like, acknowledge that, I get resentful. It's like, if I do something good for you, you better respond to me and let me know. Like, I'm just like, I think all humans are like that. But that's the obstacle of this question. Because if you go into this question with that type of thinking, well, I'm loving them, and they're not doing anything back. It doesn't, that's, that's not what the love of Jesus is. The love of Jesus is you're going to love people who may never love you back, may never appreciate it, may never respect it, and never return that to you. And that's what Jesus did for us. I call it the karma crusher. There are people who say, oh, yeah, karma, yeah, karma. Yeah. Karma is not the gospel. So if you believe the karma, you don't believe in Scripture because there are times 
that you will do good things and bad things will happen to you. And you'll not understand why this side of heaven. You'll not understand what, why it never worked out that way. Matter of fact, Proverbs, one of the most interesting scriptures in Proverbs is this, the end of joy is grief. I never really understood that until a few years ago. You know, you know, you know what the writer of Proverbs is saying? You know what Solomon's saying? Man, everything's good, but then it always goes bad. Like when you get to the peak of happiness, yes, yes. I mean, listen, we're going to get old. Our body's going to just decay, and we're going to die. And that's what Solomon was saying. Welcome to Thrive Church this morning. It's so good to have you. I hope you're encouraged. There's probably a guy on TV who could really encourage you a lot more. But, but you have to realize that's not the gospel. If I, do, if I do good things and good things will always happen to me, that's not what's going to happen. And if you're going to live out John 13, 34, if you're going to live out just as I have loved you, then there will be times that you're not going to see the return on investment. And I think the biggest issue that lies in this here is that we have a misconception of what it means to be right with God. I think many of us, we, we understand that when you receive Christ as your Savior and you, have, and, and you have right standing with God, you are completely made right with God, and that's awesome. But the, the relationship with Jesus is not just this way. He gives him a challenge to say, yeah, yeah. He says, I want you to love me. Like, love, love the Lord God, love your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he says, you got to love others just as I have loved you. The cross is not only vertical, but it's horizontal. So here's the mistake I don't want you to make that I've made before, and you can write this down. Don't disobey God by dishonoring others. Don't disobey God by dishonoring others. You say, wait, 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 wait. How am I disobeying God? Anytime that we fall short of the John 13, 34 love, anytime we live out resentfulness, bitterness, revenge, jealousy, all that stuff, strife, division, offense, and we're unforgiving, anytime we do that, we're actually dishonoring God. Like, like it's, it's like, for me, if you're mean to my child, me and you aren't good. You understand that, right? Like, like, like I, I'm, I'm going to tell you all a little secret about me, and maybe you think I'm, there's a guy down the street that's more spiritual than I am. I can send you that church. But my son was three years old at Halloween, and we sent him up with his sister-in-law, who is probably 13, and goes up there, and he gets some candy. And all of a sudden, I hear a man screaming at my son. And the man knocks the bag out of his hand, and my son comes back crying. Do you think me and that guy are cool? Do you think we're cool? Because of what he did to my child. And he thought it was okay. He was just, well, he grabbed too many pieces of candy. All I let him know was, if he wants to step out in the street, then we can step in the street. I'm not fighting his yard, but if he wants to step out, I'll show him what a fistful of candy looks like. Um, usually my wife would get on to me about being a hothead with things. I've really, I've grown a lot in that. But that night she was like, you get him, Tiger. You go ahead, honey. I was like, yeah, bring it on. Like, I remember the DDT back in the day. You know, don't, don't mess with me. So, and I say that to say that so many times, though, we're bitter, bitter, we're, we're, we're offended, we're at standoffs with people, they're just foolish, that are other brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't want to talk to them, they ain't going to work with them, they ain't going to be around them. And we think we're all just cute and cool, and God's like, nah, you're dishonoring one of my children. You're disobeying me. See, if you're at odds with people, you're at odds with God. And that's why the cross is not only vertical, but it's horizontal. 
And I want to help you today to understand that there's times that you've got to ask the question in those situations. For me, what did love require of me? It required me to stand up for my son and for my wife, for her to know that, that daddy would stand up and nobody's going to talk to my son like that, right? I didn't use any bad language, just so you know. But there's other times love requires us to do different things. Um, one of the things that I've always gotten in trouble with is standing up to bullies. I, I, I just believe, like, like me, I, I, in school, I was always taught with my dad, when they come as a group to haze you, find the bully and hit him in the face first. That's my, that's my dad's advice. He wasn't a Christian, right? So he would teach me where to hit the guy and what to do. This was, this was a conversation my dad and I had when I went to ninth grade. And I always did those things. Anytime bullies would come, I'd just, bam, hurt the, you hurt him, the rest of them run. And it always worked. Well, um, I played basketball with a group of guys, and we're in this big group chat. And one of the guys is just—he was just being a bully to everybody. It was just on the court; people stopped coming out. And so one day, I decided in that chat just let him know because I—I listen. I can cut you deep with words. I mean, that's what I do for a living. I talk and I write. That's just like all I do. So I can—I can just—I I can cut you. I mean, I would, I would just cut you so deep, and I did. I cut him deep. And I told him exactly what I was doing. You're not going to be a bully to people and blah, blah, blah. And you, you have daddy issues. And you did. I mean, I just went, I mean, I just, bam. I was like, that's right. And then I realized what I'd done was I'd hurt somebody. So I came out the next day, and, and I apologized to him publicly. But in the whole group chat, I apologized. I said, look, I said, that was on me. I was wrong, and I'm sorry for, for hurting him. I'm sorry for saying that. that. That was immature, and that was stupid, and please forgive me for that. And I had to eat my... What did love require me in that situation? It required me to be humble. Because sometimes some of you keep winning battles, but you're losing the war. You keep winning verbal skirmishes with people, but you're losing the fact that they don't, you represent Christ, not just you. And so we can easily dishonor God and disobey God by dishonoring other people. And so what do we have to do? And this is what I want to encourage you to do. If you're going to live with that John 13, 34 love, if you're going to ask that question, what does love require of me? You have to do this. Decide with others' best interest in mind. Decide with others' best interest in mind. Think about them first. Think about, think about them instead of just you. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2. He writes to this church who had gone through a lot of division. Matter of fact, in Philippians, uh, if, if you read that book, he actually calls two ladies out who are fighting in the church. <laughs> in Scripture, meaning from, for 2,000 years, these two ladies have been, they're cemented into being called out, right? It's not like a Facebook post that can be, de, uh, you know, deleted. He says this, but he says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And you're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, Christ comforts me. I've got his love. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. We're all good. He says, then do that. He says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, by loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of yourself, thinking of, of others, excuse me, as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests. Watch this, but take an interest in others too. It's thinking about with others' interest in mind. 
We make decisions so many times based on what we want and what we think is best for us instead of what's best for the body of Christ. And that's where anything, any organization, any organism gets in trouble. Matter of fact, Patrick Lencioni wrote a book called The Motive, and this is talking about like CEOs of organizations. And he says he wished it would have been his first book. Like he goes back and talks about that because he said what he's done, he's consulted all these top-level CEOs. And now he works in the church world, and Lencioni is just a gift to the body of Christ. And he says, but CEOs get into it for one of two reasons, the rewards or the responsibilities. And so many CEOs want to be a leader because of the rewards and the benefits that it offers them. Instead of the responsibilities. He said, and the ones who get in it for rewards, the ones who get in it for what's in it for me, I want to own a business, I want to be a pastor, I want to, whatever it is to be leading something. He says, those who get in it for rewards treat people like garbage and they make sure their, their selves are taken care of and they usually end up depressed and quitting. He says, but when he began to survey the CEOs who, who say, it's the responsibility. I understand this is, I understand there may be some, some rewards along the way, but the responsibilities are why I'm getting into it. I feel responsible for these people under me that are working, that they need to have a great wage. I, I feel responsible for the people that are on the boat, on the bus with me. I feel this weight for their families. And any CEO you talk to or leader or, or pat, whatever it is, that leads a group of people that has that mindset, they're thinking with others' best interest in mind. And so when it comes down to these decisions that, well, do I just do things that benefit me but hurts others? Or do I do things that I probably got to sacrifice some, but it's, but it's better for them too? That is what it means to be a follower of Christ. If you just look at following Jesus for the rewards you get, yeah, I get to get to heaven, I got the Holy Spirit in me, I get to read the Bible, I'm, I'm saved. It's all. If you just look at that, then you're never going to ask the question, what does love require of me? You'll never decide with others' best interest in mind. You'll always do what is best for you, not what is best for the body of Christ. Because the responsibility that we carry, it says that the Scriptures say that we are ambassadors for Jesus. He talks about reconciliation, not only reconciling and, and showing the world that you can be reconciled to God, you can be forgiven, you can follow Jesus no matter what you've done, but we're a picture to the world of what reconciliation horizontally looks like as well. And so I want you to understand this in, in today is that when you talk about love and what does love require of me, there's different responses to that. I do want to outline this. I want you to write this down because this is the key to love today as I, as I land this plane. Love is multifaceted. Love is multifaceted. What does love require of me? In some situations, it requires you to say, forgive me, I'm sorry. But if you're being abused in your household, if you're being cursed out and emotionally abused, or you're being physically abused, love requires you to call the police and get out of there and get help. Amen? Amen. Because some people say, well, I'm just trying to love, did Jesus love? No, no, no. This is where the Holy Spirit has to begin to speak to you and work in you because in different situations, love's going to require different things. Like, there's some times of my son, and I've shared this before, that he's just in a tantrum, and I need to just hug him. I let him know I love him. And I did that the other day. The poor little guy was just, all. Oh, it's Friday. He was just riled up. And he was screaming at me. He had ripped his books in his hand. He had to read. He's walking. He's just talking trash to me. And he's tripping and fell. <laughs> and I was like, ugh. And he just laid there, face down crying, just crying. I mean, all water on our hardwood floors, tears flowing, snot. And I just picked him up, and I just hugged him. Didn't say a word to him. 
and he was fine. And there are other times, there are other times, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> that we have knocked down dragouts and he loses every privilege known to man because of that. See, see, love requires different things at different times. And as a follower of Jesus, there's not like this manual where it's like, hey, well, when somebody does this, then you, that's religion and that's rules. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. That's what we said is there attention that you need to pay attention to because there's times, just like that group chat I was in, I messed up and love required me to go and eat crow, right? Say, hey, it's on me, man. That's, that's on me. I'm the one who had the bad attitude. I'm the one who had this. And there are times, like on Halloween, like, like listen, there are times when it causes you to have to stand up to a bully. I can't tell you in any given situation, and people sometimes don't know exactly what you need to do, but you got to understand that love is multifaceted in that. See, Jesus, it says, was full of grace or mercy and full of truth. He was full of both of them. And sometimes we're just so full of mercy, we will never speak up the truth, will we? We'll never approach situations. I'm just being like God. He was loving. He was, Jesus was meek and quiet. Now, there was times that Jesus turned over tables in the temple because of his anger at the way people were just going through the Jewish religion. There were times when Jesus would rebuke his disciples so little children could come take his time up. Probably just wasting his time, you know? There's no agenda for children. There were people who needed to be healed. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let them come to me. So you look at Jesus' life, there was, he was full of truth and he was full of grace or mercy. He was full of both of those. And love's going to require you at times to be full of truth. To look at somebody in the eye and say, I will not take this anymore from you. You will not do this anymore to me. There are times that love's going to require you to show mercy and grace to someone. And that's where you and I have to ask for the help of God in that. See, I don't know what you'll face in 2022, but I do know this. You're going to face situations where you're going to have to ask the question in your marriage, you're going to have to ask the question at your job, with close friendships, with working relationships. No matter what they've done, what does love require of me in this situation? And you have to make the statement that I will choose to live out love no matter what the response is from others. Knowing that, guys, God values you. It's not from what you get from other people. Amen? So this morning, I want to pray for you guys. Lord, we just come to you in prayer. And Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for going to the cross for us, for being crucified. That you possibly asked that question in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does love require of me for this sinful world that has rejected me? And you chose to do what was best for us, even though it wasn't what was best for you in the moment. Now, God, I pray we can make that same decision as we leave here in all of our relationships. That the world would see that we are your disciples because of this love that we have. Because we've experienced your love. So I pray this week, Lord, that as some people in here are facing really tough situations. There are some marriages that are going through it. There are some working relationships going through it. There are some family relationships, Lord. There are some things that have just put people at an impasse. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to every heart 
as they ask that question to you, God, what does love require of me in this situation? That we could live out that John 13, 34 love. And Lord, I pray this week that they would experience your love just as I have loved you, love. That whatever they're going through, as they spend time with you, you and your words, they spend time with you in prayer, that you would speak to their hearts, Father. And today as we're praying, church, or maybe you're watching online today, maybe your first step is to actually know the love of Jesus. To know that just as I have loved, you love. And you do that by receiving Christ as your Savior, by praying this prayer. It's a confession of faith. I don't know, I don't know if you've ever given your life to Jesus. I don't know if you walked away from your faith, but today is your day, the perfect day to experience the love of God. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer after me. And you say, God, I admit I need a Savior. I admit I need Jesus. For I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe he rose again on the third day. Today, I repent. I turn from my old life, and I receive new life. I receive full forgiveness of sins. God, help me to know your love and to share your love with others just as you have loved me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You put your hands together for everybody who made that.